Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast. This is episode 402, Breathe. Uh, I'm Chris McCaleb, and uh, as, as always, I'm here with Kelly Dixon. Hey, Kelly. Hey, I'm Kelly Dixon. How's it going, everybody? Good. I'm Chris McCaleb. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, Kelly, as, as just as last week, is in New York. She's joining us um, for a, uh, a podcast after dark. This is one of our yes. rare mm. late night recordings and in I New like York. It. It's a very am, late night recording. After dark. I am definitely <laughs> after this podcast going taking the dog for a walk and going to bed. It's late. Is that a euphemism for something? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. But like usually usually I'm like doing the hosting the podcast and then I'm like, and Chris McCaleb is with us, but Chris, what are you working on? And but this is like reverse now. That's right. What are you working on, Kelly? I am working on a movie for Warner Brothers called The Goldfinch. Fantastic. Nice. And I miss Los Angeles terribly. Well, what about it, us? Yeah. I us miss, of course I miss you all. Well, and, and uh, you've already heard uh, at least one of their voices uh, with us, as, as again, as always, uh, our uh, show co-creators, Peter Gould and Vince Gilligan. Hello. Yay. Hello. Uh, and we've got two very special guests today uh, on my right that bears... Uh, no relevance to the audio listener. Um, first here, we have producer Robin Sweet. Hello. Hey, Robin. Hey, Robin. Uh, and we're going to hear all about what Robin does. Uh, she has a, uh incredibly, incredibly difficult and complicated job, and uh, she always comes through with flying colors. She's, she's amazing. And, uh, and you and people at home can absolutely. fast forward to that part because it's not that interesting. Yeah, yeah. Skip, <laughs> skip right Actually, ahead. I recommend you listen very carefully. <laughs> uh, and uh, and the, the man that she's talking to right now is, uh, you know him, you love him. He wrote this episode. I go that far. And his name is Tom Schnauz. Hello. Tom. Hey, Tom. Tom. Did Tom Schnauz direct this episode? He did not. This episode was directed by Michelle McLaren. Yeah. yeah. She's not here. Wow, and she Michelle McLaren. Yes, she yeah. did. She did a great she, job. I think this is, uh, and I need to tell her this, uh, well, she'll hear it here, but I think this is some of the best directing she's ever done, and that's that's saying a damn sight. That's saying a lot. We were so lucky to get her back. Oh, man, uh, yeah. It was super great to see her again. How many episodes of Breaking Bad did she direct? Uh, Eleven. Great. Thank you. No problem. And she was she was the number uh, one in terms. Well, she was just great, the best, uh, and that's saying a lot. I think too. she directed four that I wrote. Wow. Wow. And she did more than any other. What I was trying to say, I lost my grasp of English for a second, but <laughs> they, yeah, she was uh, far and away our most prolific director. With um, uh, Anna Bernstein uh, following behind her uh, in terms of how many episodes directed. Yeah, and she just killed it. As did he. As did they all. But yeah. And uh, one one more person who's around the table is Joey Reinish. Yeah, just a Joey. regular guest. And and in the back, Mike Bermatrout. He's you know he's always here. Can we yeah. talk real quick about the kick-ass job Joey did that I should have mentioned on the panel at uh, San Diego Comic Con? Please, yes. Oh yeah, definitely. Joe Joey, but as we tape this, San Diego's uh, Comic Con 2018 International Comic Con International was. About uh, half a week ago, uh, five, six days ago. It was one week ago today. Oh, so, oh you're right. Yeah. Exactly one week ago today. Time is flying. No, you're right. years ago. Was, uh, yes. It feels like. I know, right? <laughs> and uh, Joey edited the sizzle, sizzle reel we uh, used to open the three-minute and some-second sizzle reel that uh, 
that, with, uh, that we used to open the, uh, the Breaking Bad 10th anniversary panel. You want to talk a little bit about what it was to go through all that 62 hours of footage? <laughs> it was a pretty amazing, intense week. Because you had to do it quick, right? Some crazy quick. Some double speed, some triple speed, but it was, you know, get to relive all that stuff again was was fun. But uh, mostly just wanted to make sure I didn't mess it up. And you didn't. You kicked ass. It's awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. awesome. And people uh, far and wide after they saw it said, where can we get copies of that? And I want to see it. I think it's available now. It's on YouTube. It's if on you, YouTube. If you on look the YouTube, at my Twitter, the Kelly, YouTube, if you look at my one Twitter. One of the only things I've tweeted. No, look at my Twitter. Look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really really spectacular. Work. It's yeah, it's an job. easy show to make look pretty good. And so. a, and a really you paired it with a really cool song that Thomas Goliubich found for us by the group Jungle, that is a really awesome song and. As of the time we're recording, this is not yet available widely, but I'm sure it soon will be, and I'm sure people will be snapping it up on iTunes and whatnot. It's it's really cool, really cool song, really well edited. Oh, Good thank job. you very much. Good job. Appreciate it. Let's get into this episode tonight. Can't we fuck around a little more first? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about this episode. We could we could fuck around for a whole hour. Well, we it, there there's a there's a lot to talk about both in and outside the episode. I, I have one that you can start off with, Chris. This is your first episode editing by yourself. That is true. That is, of this of Better Call Saul. Okay. Yes. The training wheels are off. <laughs> that is true. Thank you. It it was a, and it was a particularly difficult one because. Now I'm not sure that I can talk about it, but I, I, I was I was while that was happening, I was also finishing up on Lodge 49, also on AMC. Check it out. Uh, and so I was kind of doing two things at once for longer than I'd care to admit, and it was uh, very taxing and uh, difficult. But everybody was super accommodating of the schedule, and uh, we, you know we got it done. And I'm I'm really happy with how the episode turned out. So Chris, does this mean that there's going to be a night? When you cut two hours of AMC programming in one night? Uh, three times three during times. Wow. the 10 episodes. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah, I am looking forward to seeing Lodge 49. The, the promos make it look cool. And it's uh, Kurt, Kurt Russell's son. That's correct. Yeah, he looks like Wyatt him. Russell. Cool. He's awesome. You're going to fall in love with him right, for right sure. I love Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell, God bless him. One of the coolest moments of my life. I was having lunch. Again, I told you we're going to wind up fucking around on this. No. This I, I, we should get back to the actual. But I, uh, Kurt Russell, I was, I was having lunch with my agent. This sounds a very Hollywood story. And uh, a couple of years back, and this guy comes up to the table. And I was kind of stuck between, behind the table. I couldn't stand up when he came over. But he said, excuse me, I just wanted to say hi. I, I love Breaking Bad. It's fucking Kurt Russell. <laughs> and I said, fuck. And I, my mom's going to hate that I'm cursing so much. This. And, I, and I tried to stand up. You know, because that's the polite thing to do, and, and shake his hand. But instead, I couldn't get up from behind the sink, so I'm, I reach up to shake his hand like like some mob boss or something, like you know, like, Michael Corleone. You know, and uh, <laughs> uh, I wish I could have stood up, but he was. Oh man, <laughs> Kurt Russell's just—he's the king. He's the king. He's fantastic. He's the Snake Pliskin. I hope you would <laughs> let me call him Snake and not Mr. Pliskin. Anyway, and hey, speaking, episode four hundred two. Yeah, speaking speaking of snakes, uh, that <laughs> Hector Salamanca, New York. You ain't number one. You ain't number one. No, but not only not only Hector Salamanca. That's like the doctor from the from Mexico, right? That's, that's the doctor. Right. 
that's, that's correct. That was awesome. I saw, I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, wait, that's the doctor. Cool. It's a great teaser. It's a beautifully shot, as always, by Marshall Adams, beautifully lit. We had a whole other teaser carded where Gus goes we and— still, We might still do this. Oh, so I can't talk about it? <laughs> well, no, you can talk about it. Gus goes and recruits the doc. We showed the recruiting of the doctor instead of mm-hmm. the scene that you that saw would, in That's the right. I remember you hearing about Why that. Why did you your, change your mind? It just seemed too— it was like set in like a foreign airport. It was, <laughs> it was like we were never going to pull it off. And oh, it just seemed, but Robin oh, always Robin, says money is no object. Money Robin, is never an object. Robin could pull it off. She could. <laughs> you guys get whatever you deserve. And so could Judy Reed. And, and let's, <laughs> yes. Let's mention Judy in this episode because you know she was she's our new production designer of the season. Uh, and this uh, this episode represents, I believe, her first big new set, which mm-hmm. is which is Neff, mm-hmm. the copier oh, yeah. company. Oh and that, my god, that's that a is, great location. That is great an set. incredible set built on location. And when we when 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 you guys showed me that, mm-hmm. it was raw space. Yep. It was literally it was an empty space with some glass uh, underneath a parking deck. <laughs> Well, the challenge to find Neff copiers was that so many retail spaces in Albuquerque look the same. And we were really looking for something that was distinctive. And that was a distinctive space. It was raw. It had all this piping. It had, you know, the specifics of the garage. And Judy particularly was really advocating for something that stood out and had character and didn't blend into a, a typical generic space that really spoke to the characters. It's interesting. It's a plate glass storefront that looks out into a into parking, a, into a parking <laughs> yeah. deck. Right? It's very odd. Just odd like, design. Where in the, who would want that space? It was like so well, crazy. It's when a I family it. business. It's a little less expensive. Like the architect uh, failed architecture <laughs> class on that one. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting point that Robin makes, though, because I love Albuquerque. Albuquerque's so great to us. There is a lot, a lot of Albuquerque was built it seems to me, between 1990 and 1997. And so there's, and it seemed to be that there's, there's, there's a lot of places that are built sort of along the same line. So we work extra hard to try to find some variation. And boy, that's Neff. And the other thing that about this set that I love so much is the sense of history. Because of course, the way Tom wrote that, that scene, a lot of it is about the history of this, this the copiers mm. and the Neff yeah. company, and you get the the layers of set dressing and the wood paneling and the uh, the variation on the floor. I mean, and, and Vince, one of the things you said to me when you saw it was that you laughed when you saw the the copiers. Oh, oh the, uh, yeah, the copiers rotating. I said that to Judy uh, uh, when I saw her uh, last week at uh, Comic Con. I said I love that set so much. My favorite thing that literally made me laugh out loud was the rotating. Mm-hmm carousels showing off the copy machines like this copy is so beautiful I have to see, you have to see it from all angles to appreciate its beauty i thought it literally made me laugh out loud that wide shot and and neff copiers by the way is that uh shout out to walter neff from uh, double indemnity or is that it was uh i mean it was definitely when i came up with the name it was in my mind because i love that movie but yeah. it just sounded like a an amusing name yeah. to me at the time. Yeah. And I just also have to give a shout out to uh, Paul DeSanto, our uh, our art director, mm-hmm. oh, Paul and Steve Brown, uh, our construction coordinator, because there was man. an enormous, it was a giant job. You don't think about this, and and I'm sh- those of you who haven't done television production, this happens all basically in the course of maybe a week or so, just a little bit more than a week that that we have to that this location is found. It's designed and then 
built and dressed. It all happens so quickly. And I, I actually, I still can't conceive how these people do their jobs. And I think it was as complicated, if not more, than a stage set. Because really, it, we, it, we just had walls and tore down some of them and put up new ones and, wow. and fleshed it out. And that you're right, that location had so much texture and detail to tell the history of Neff. It was brilliantly done. That's cool. Yeah, the before and after images are really, really striking. Really impressive. What was it? What was it in real life before? Uh, before? You no, know, uh, I wish I knew. I don't know because uh, well, the only time I saw it, it was gutted. Oh, okay. Was anything there before it we got there? It was empty. I can't I remember, it, it but empty. there were a lot of really weird windows and mirrors. A lot mm. of mirrors. <clears throat> oh. Sounds good. A lot of mirrors. Okay, so I have a question. It's kind of weird because I'm, I, I just am not in the know like I used to be. So I'm kind of, it's just kind of odd. Okay. My question is what, you know, the scene where Jimmy comes to get the job and then he does this whole thing about, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, he has his first interview and, and then he walks out and decides, no, I really want to try and get this job. Right. But then he embarrasses them for giving him the job. So I'm just curious, what what was going on in the writer's room around this whole thing? Well, coming off the previous week's episode where, where Howard admits that it's his fault and Chuck killed himself, where we all know that Jimmy's probably the one to blame after the insurance scam. And he hears Howard take the blame for this, the, the thing that he is responsible for, and he just pushes it way down. So he's just got this pit of denial and anger that he's just suppressing right comes seeping out when these two guys who he basically cons into giving you know with his fast talk and you know he cons them into giving him a job he just you know he turns them so quickly that i think he looks at them as suckers and as he can't keep his anger down it just comes pouring out of him he's weirdly self-destructive now it's it's and it's 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 chaotic it's anarchic he doesn't even know what he's up to and and uh the audience is to be forgiven by being mystified by his behavior and that's to the good being mystified is uh is 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 the is the right way to feel what what is going on with jimmy what's he up to what's he thinking i think even in the script i wrote down the old Groucho Marx line that you don't want to belong to any club though to have someone like me as a member exactly so that's what's that's what's happening there as soon as he is accepted it's like no, you guys are terrible. What what kind of idiots would hire someone like me? Yeah, Just, I'm a worthless piece of shit. Do you guys weirdly <laughs> self-destructive? Yeah. Worthless piece you, of shit at the center of the universe. That's right. <laughs> I also Do have. To, guys, I'm, no, I'm sorry, Kelly. I just want to give a quick shout sure. out though to yeah. uh, Michael Naughton and Andrew Friedman who play Seymour and Mr. Neff. They were so good. Oh, oh, these two guys, these guys are outstanding. Are outstanding. They are. They're actually a comedy team. Uh, and, and in fact, <laughs> seriously, uh, they yes, they are a comedy mm. team. I've seen them, uh, Bob. And Bob and uh, Bob and his his wife Naomi do a show every year here in uh, in Los Angeles at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater on Franklin, and it's a New Year's Eve show called the uh, Not Inappropriate Show. And Bob's wife Naomi uh, is a is a, a brilliant comedy manager. She goes to all the uh, all the different comedy shows in L.A. at, at, at Second City and Upright Citizens Brigade and. Uh, uh, the groundlings, and she find, and one of the things she does is to look for sketches which are not inappropriate for young people. And so, you know, as a dad, we've been going to the show on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, you know, probably six or seven years in a row. 
And uh, these two guys are so funny and so outstanding and so original in their material that they, they I always remembered them. And so when we saw them audition, we thought this would be perfect. And Naomi just told me actually we were at Comic-Con and she told me that in fact, uh, Bob put Michael and Andrew together. They had mm-hmm. one sketch they did together and he said, but you, something to the effect of you, you guys are a team, right? He said, no, not really. We just have this one sketch we do. And he told them they should write together. And they, they've, uh, wow. so the, Bob goes way back with these guys. And I think there's a, uh, a rapport between the three of them. There's a, it's, it's a, they're three really comic, wonderful, fully developed comedy performances. And especially, uh, there's a couple of moments when, uh, Andrew laughs, Mr. Neff laughs, and Seymour looks at him and goes along and laughs with him <laughs> that break me up every time, every time I see them. I, I just, I, these, these guys, it, it's comedy gold. Well, Tom and Peter, I mean, you know, in Breaking Bad, you, we always used to, you guys always used to say in the writer's room that, you know, you would say things like, um, where's Walt's head at? Where is he at? Are you, is that the kind of the way that you approach Jimmy at this point as well? I mean, I'm just curious about the genesis of this, like, you know, you just talked about how he is really angry and stuff like that. Is that how you guys are, were approaching this? Yeah, all the time. I mean, that's absolutely how the scene developed because we knew he had to be out searching for jobs. And we, when we started talking about what a job interview would look like, torpedoing it like he does is something that, that came out of discussing where is his head at. And and him not even really fully understanding what's going on with himself because he's in such denial about things. That's where everything, that's how it all developed. Yeah. Okay. And you you guys, I mean, it's, you always have a theory. I mean, you you guys are sort of psychiatrists uh, as well as, uh, uh, you, you have to be kind of for the character. You have to understand them. Even if, the, even if you present them to the audience not intending the audience to fully understand in any given moment what's going on with them, you and guys have to know, have a theory of what's going on with you them. Have, you have theories, and I don't even think, I'm not even saying that I'm right about the, right, <laughs> the things right. I say. I mean, I have theories. As long as they're, they, they, what I watch on screen and what we read on the page sounds true, it doesn't have to make complete A to B to C sense because people don't, we're not robots, we we. There's so many levels we act in different ways, and as long as it sounds true when it comes out and it's entertaining to us, then we do. I think we go for it. I, I, you know, it's it's an interesting thing we talk about. You know, mystery in in movies and television, and and, and there's you know there's always the you know the mis- idea of the mystery of who committed the murder or who stole something, who's behind a plot. But maybe the the greatest mystery is why people are the way they are, why people do the things that they do, and for me, the moments in the writer's room that I find most delightful and exciting are when the characters do something that we would have, two days earlier, we'd have never expected them to do, but at that moment we know it's the right thing to do. And, and one of the earliest ones I can remember on, on Breaking Bad was when Walt turned, <laughs> I always go back to this, yeah. turned down uh, Gretchen and Elliot's money. And, and, and I was like, what the hell? How could he do this? And it, it was... It was, it, the first came the intuition that it was the right thing, and then came the understanding of why it was the right thing. And I think that happens a lot, where, where we, we feel our way through it, and the characters surprise us, 
but it feels right, and we have to try to understand for ourselves why why it feels right. Can I, can I stress one thing though, and it bears stressing to all the writers listening to this, all the folks starting off their writing careers, what we never do, what these guys never do, because it's death. Down this uh, path lie monsters, as I say. What, 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 what these guys never do is say, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you did this? Wouldn't it be cool if you did that? What if, you know, right. how about Jimmy? Because when you are leading with the cool thing, quote unquote, mm-hmm. you are not following the character, or rather, you are not letting the character do his or her own thinking, and uh, that way lies monsters, as they say. That that way is you're just sort of bullshitting your way through it, and you're never going to wind up with anything truly organic or truly, ultimately meaningful. That's that's just that's that's doing it from the outside in instead of the inside out. That's not the way to well, get to where you want to go. That's the true. Doesn't rigor. that doesn't that become plot based rather than character based? Then it becomes cool based. It becomes. Like attitude uh, as opposed yeah. to yeah or you know oh man I, this is awesome 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 scene a location we could use uh for this awesome shootout and there's this new kind of gun that uh some you know, so and such just put out and it wouldn't it be really cool if this well why would he do that uh we'll figure that out later wouldn't it be cool if this happened or that happened or blah thus and so you know but uh, that's that's you can get a fair bit of mileage from doing that uh you can get you can fool the you can fool a viewer for a while doing that, but not forever. It doesn't it doesn't pay dividends ultimately. It's empty calories. It's not I don't know not to, not to be so definitive because you know write write whatever you feel like writing, but uh, it just you know it just seems like uh, your safest bet. You're building on quicksand if you do it that way versus building on concrete. You won't go far wrong if you stick with the characters. Yeah. And, and That's a better way to put if it. If you stick with what the characters are thinking and feeling, then usually, I think the trick is actually the cool scenes come out of come out of what, thinking about what the character is going through and then thinking, how do you express that? Yeah. That's how you, that's how you get to, and I think that's, boy, there's some sequences in other episodes, which are, I think just so cinematic and exciting coming up. I'm so excited for you guys out there to watch uh, all, all the upcoming episodes, including this one. But all the, um, all the cool stuff, the thing I'm most proud of is all the cool stuff that we did came about because we said, this is what's going on with this person. How do we, how do we explore that? How do we show it? How, is there some way for us to use movies uh, to use action to express what's going on with this person. Uh, anyway, that uh, that's that's all so vague. But you'll you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you see it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but I would say what is equally as cool are the supremely human moments that exist between the characters and the day to day, particularly yeah. the season between Jimmy and and Kim. And yeah. I think that's evident at the top of the episode as well in their morning together. We, we are so lucky to have Robin here. I hope you guys are going to start asking her some questions. No. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, yeah, well, and that, that actually, that, I, that is one question I, I did want to ask uh, because a lot of people who are listening maybe don't know the distinction between, because now Robin is in, Al, when, she, when we're shooting, Robin is in Albuquerque. Yeah. Is it as the line producer? Is yes. that yes. A, a term that's correct? Tell yes. them what line, because everyone yeah, always is, asks me, what is a producer? And they talk about that. So yeah. the line producer is the one who reads the scripts of faints, and then someone comes along with smelling salts and resurrects me, and then we roll up our sleeves and get it done. <laughs> um, but really, the line producer is the one who's on the ground, who's charged with taking the scripts 
and executing them within the budget and the resources and the time that that is allotted and navigating that crossover between the resources we have and meeting Vincent Peter's vision. And it's a it's a fun dance. <laughs> what, what is, what is and, the word line you are, refer to? You are actually a non-writing producer. You're one Exa of the few non-writing producers. Correct. Correct. And, uh, you know, I'm not sure the origin of line. I, I Below the line, maybe? You're managing the, the line below items, the line. Firing you know, that, that, I think it's, yeah. <laughs> the, there's the above the line and then the below the line. The firing line. I like yeah. that. You case. just crossed a line, <laughs> and that's why you got to have the producer out there. Robin. Going across it. Um, and, Robin. You know, Yes. Do you, I mean, I know that a lot of line producers have this. I don't know if you have this, but um, m most of the time the line producer is the one who has the produced by credit. Is that true for you as well on this show or have you? Yes, I do have the, I do have the produced by credit. And I, I personally by. am one who I cherish the produced by credit. I think it captures my responsibility perfectly. So I, I actually like the produced by Cool. Well, you you are sure sure as hell earned it. That's Robert. What do you what do you how do you approach it when the the script comes out and it's it's asking for fifty percent more? And based on your experience, I, I imagine is how you read it, and that's why you faint because you look at all the things that it's calling for, and you say, "Well, there's no way we can do all that with our resources." How do you approach that? How do you approach the the the, the writers and the executive producers to say, "Here's what you want." Here's what we got. What is that conversation like? I approach it very carefully. <laughs> um, generally, what's a gift on this show is that the season is planned so carefully that we have very thorough outlines, and there's a lot of information that comes at the beginning of the season. season. So as a producer and production on the ground has an overview of the season that we can plan for. So we're able to make decisions at the front end of the season that allows some give for things we know are coming down later in the season. That's not always the case, but that's that's a huge gift. I think that serves everyone to have that level of information. And I always find it to be a combination of thinking creatively on the ground in terms of, well, can we do this? Can we not do this? I think going to the writers and saying you can't do something is the last resort. I think you want to really look at it from all angles on the ground in terms of what the creative solutions are, how you can stretch the dollars, um, you know, how uncomfortable can we take it to achieve what's on the page. And then um, approaching the writers, the director, Vince and Peter, with hopefully a Chinese menu of, okay, this is a little bit bigger than what we can do. Here are some ideas as to how we can help get it in line and see what's palatable and ultimately they're the ones that are in charge of the story that can sort of really assess if something needs to pull back um, how to do that without harming the creative integrity so yeah. Robin if they come to you and they say okay we've got this scene it's at night we need to shoot all night long and we need a hundred people and I want a techno crane and you say well maybe if we shoot it like you know, like in the late afternoon or, you know, is that, is that the kind of thing where they? Well, yes, but I'm generally not in the business of saying no. Okay. I mean, that's how I like to approach my job. I mean, I'm just not in the business of saying no. I only want to say no as a last resort. So, but as a practical, that's the kind of like it, that is ex an example. Y yes, you know, or it's creative usually, solutions. It's it's it, usually in my experience. It for those of you out there listening who probably maybe you haven't done this, you're probably imagining 
that in the writers room were writing, you know, there are 300 extras riding on horses over the hill, and they <laughs> and they are shooting, and then Robin comes back and says, "No, oh, you can't giving away our season, you, Peter. You can't you can't have a hundred riders. I can give you two. Yeah, and we go, yeah. no, no, and it's actually not. It doesn't really work that way. And usually, the the pinch point is not what we put in front of the camera. It's how long things are going to take to shoot. Mm-hmm. The biggest the biggest expense. Uh, the thing that's most precious of all is time. And so we have we have a certain number of days to shoot these episodes. And so the biggest challenge for us is to figure out, try to fit our ideas, not so much into, you know, the, the scope. Because frankly, God, these people in Albuquerque can do, you guys can do almost anything. Uh, but it's a matter of, it's a matter of can we figure out a way to give the directors, the crew, and the cast, the time to do it right. I, I, Peter's absolutely right. The pinch point is usually the number of days. Does the script fit within our nine-day schedule plus some sort of second unit? And how do we schedule that? And so much of that hinges also on the director's approach and their ability to think about how to shoot this cinematically or craft the performances and what they need and where they can streamline. And within that, you know, is it a technocrane? Is it a riser on a dolly? I mean, there are all sorts of um, push and pulls, but I think it's the number of days and then how many big sets you have and what the appetite is for really creating those new set pieces and and locations within the... And, like, we go circling back to Neff, that was a, that was a big expense, but it was really important to set Jimmy's journey off for, for the season to really, you know, build this world that one thinks that he might really want to be a part of, and then he turns around and torpedoes it. So, you know, that is that is where we wanted to put our money. Absolutely. And we spend a long time in that office, in and around that office. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I think it's close to 10 minutes. Yeah. It, we, we spent longer than 10 minutes in there. Oh, no, there's <laughs> running, running time. Running time, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean as, as far as the story time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which, so, it, it, I mean, it, it is. It is a very important, it's important that all the texture is exactly right because we're going to be yeah. really spending a lot of time in there and it has to feel real and it has to feel right. I love the wall of crap. The wall of crap's very cool. I have a question sort of along those lines, and it's about the set because... The Chuck's house that we basically destroyed um, in season three, at the end of season three, in Peter's episode, that was like the major, major, major set on that yeah. stage. Yeah. And so it's, it's, I mean, I'm assuming it's gone? Oh, no. Oh. Oh, we saved every scrap of it. <laughs> okay. A- abused, torn, walls torn or not, it's all, whatever's left is in storage. And I kept saying to Peter and Vince, are you sh- this coming back in, in its flashback state next season but there's so many easter eggs and callbacks yeah. within this story that we whatever was left we packed away and it's sitting in storage which we appreciate very much because you want to talk about what that's like it is not cheap can we like get on though with the, i i'm just curious because now you've got nacho you've got nacho um um trying to uh to give you know get back in with his dad and also the cousins yes yeah. Mancata <laughs> brothers are back Mancatas, i like those guys oh my oh, god those are fun i like that when i saw them at the uh premiere 
and they were smiling, it really weirded me out. <laughs> yeah, they're incredibly friendly, Very nice friendly, guys uh, in real life. Jovial I think, and I think somebody has said that. I, I Peter might have been you. The, like the nice, the, the the meaner and more evil these guys are on screen in these shows. It, like generally, the nicer they are in real life, like guys like Giancarlo. <laughs> nice. and... Yeah. <laughs> so Nacho is uh, trying to get back in good with his dad. Yeah. And it's you know his dad. He tells his dad that he's he's trying to get out. So what a great actor that gentleman is. Oh yeah, yeah Nacho's really dad. Good. That one shot where he's just facing the camera and he's got the money stacked. It was really, really kind of heartbreaking. Very heartbreaking. Gave him the cold shoulder in that fantastic long take where he just sets the money down and and says nothing doesn't look at him doesn't and and Nacho you, you, you can just feel the longing and then the despair all happen all in that one shot and uh, I really love that I love the way that Michelle staged that and the way that both of those guys played That's it That's one of my favorite shots in the whole show that that you, you hang on it uh very well edited too excellent job oh, you hang you hang on it so long I mean, but in the best possible way, because it just it bears, you know, and 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 uh, and uh, and uh, uh, Juan Carlo is uh, is is off to the uh, left side of frame, mm-hmm. and then uh, Michael Mando's to the right side of frame. But Michael Mando's in darkness, and, uh, yeah. and just the, the way they're just a beautiful shot. Uh, just I, I just love it. I, one of my favorite shots ever. I just I was, thought it was interesting uh, to have him lay out the money the same way Tio lays out the money when he offers it to him. It's just that's a, right. I just thought it was a fun, you know, he says nothing, but he says so much in that yeah. action. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going to get through the whole scene without him, the dad, ever saying a word to him. But then you. He loves his, he loves his boy. I'm, I'm glad yeah. he did, though. I'm glad nah, he nah, did. No, no, I, I don't mean that as a, I don't mean that as a, I thought it was awesome. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. For both of those guys. I mean, it's, it's a bad situation for both of those guys. Yeah, yeah. Tom, were you on set for the shooting of that? I was not. I was, uh, I went out for the prep. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was actually while they were shooting the next scene, I was in surgery because I was uh, had a little little bit of colon cancer. So that while I was crazy. I was under the knife while the next scene was happening. I wish I, I I love so much being in Albuquerque and also being with Michelle whenever possible because she directed so many of my Breaking Bad episodes and I was with her for every one of them and I learned so much from them. But uh, yeah, I was uh, having surgery, so this is my PSA moment to say. If you're now, if you're 45, they've lowered the age. Go get really? a colonoscopy because I had a routine colonoscopy and they found uh, uh, stage one. Are you good uh, now? This, though? Are you good? Yeah, everything's good right now. Good. This was this was uh, this was a very tough season uh, specifically for for this. Uh, I, I we were all so damn worried about Tom, and it was it was. Uh, uh, he really inconvenienced me tremendously. <laughs> uh, so it, it, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at that. But I you very, know. very badly wanted to direct the season, but uh, as fate would have it, Peter was too worried about me to to put me on set. I ended up directing some pickups you, at the end of the season. But you uh, ended up directing a bit. But quite a few. Uh, but we. But that was. Uh, I will say that was more of a sacrifice for us than it was for you because you were a hell of a director, my That's friend. That's true. And uh, you will be back. You will be back uh, next season. I have high hopes. I hope so. I, I'm glad I, you're feeling better. Tom. I didn't know any of this. Thank I you. thought you were in the hospital to get calf implants. <laughs> I also, that was, <laughs> calves, I, calves had them, looking I had them do that. Very sexy. <laughs> I had butt cheek reduction. There you go. 
Yeah, I know you've you've talked about that a lot on Twitter, and not the butt cheek, but the but the the, the, <laughs> no, the importance uh, of getting. I'm a, now a one of those guys who uh, you know who's out there telling everybody I meet. If you if I find out you're a certain age, that's my first question: Did you have a colonoscopy? Yeah, because the the chances are you're not nothing's going to be wrong. But I thought that I said I thought to myself I waited a year beyond what I was supposed to, and. Uh, Sure enough, they found something. And, and if I had waited a year longer, my doctor said I'd be not here anymore. Wow. Jeez. Really? Uh, yeah. You mean on this podcast? Or not, not on this podcast, right. Jeez. Well, who would no, we have I'm, booked? <laughs> <laughs> this, this seriously, we're, we're, being, I'm being, yeah. we're being goofy, but this was this was a big deal. And, yeah. uh, and that, that's great advice to – So you know, please, if, you're, if I could change one – get one person out there who's been thinking about doing it. And just like, eh, I'm not going to just go do it. Just get it done. It's not, not that, even that big a it's deal. It's not that bad. People yeah. joke about it. It's yeah. really not that bad. Yeah. Just because go. you're knocked out completely. You can uh, do it. It's, it's and then it's the over. Thing, and, it's the yeah, prep. It, well, the prep's not yeah, even that bad. You get room yeah. and says, oh, it tastes so bad, that stuff you got to drink to flush out. You just hold your nose and chug it. It's fine. Like man up. It's two or, days of you know, cowboy no, convenience. Just, yeah, you just, it's just like mezcal. Mezcal, nobody likes it. You just drink it because you're supposed to. Because you have to. And then you realize how That's many right. commercials on TV are for French fries. <laughs> right. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What's wrong with French fries? No, and oh, the Oreo you're, cookies. You're, I literally you're don't. Forced to, I don't uh, understand this, this segue whatsoever. Because you're forced to you have <laughs> a certain eat. diet while you're prepping. You can't eat, so you it's, can't it's, eat. so it's then your, for one your French night. fries commercials. Are, it's only one night. It's one night. Uh, it's a it, whole it was day. Two nights for me. It, it was just, a whole day it, of not eating it's anything. A, a, it's a cleanse. Yes, just it's a cleanse, <laughs> it's a cleanse <laughs> it, yeah. which is bullshit. But uh, it, it's, it's, <laughs> this is a worthwhile cleanse. Yeah. There are no toxins. I'm just going to say there are no toxins in your body. Your body knows what to do. Uh, and go ahead and get a colonoscopy. Anyway, all right. Okay. Enough, so, enough least, talking about anyway, my colon. No. Let's I, talk about. Let's talk some more about your colon. Can we, oh. So we've been looking at pictures. We got some pictures. Tom is passing around of his, <laughs> of his colon. Oh, very graphic. That's Can nice. Can we talk about that? Like the the awesome tunnel. scene that um, Ray Ray Seahorn has. Yes. Though? Oh my God. Ray. Oh, with Patrick. Ray yeah. completely knocked this one out of the park. It was so. I, I get teary. Watching her do it. Yeah, she's I'm so, on the fence. She's, <laughs> she's so good. Ke- Kelly. She, she is so damn good. Can, is, can, yeah. I, can I tell you that, that scene you're talking about, which is the scene when Kim comes to uh, HHM and confronts Howard about what was he thinking, t- saying all that shit to Jimmy. Uh, watching the dailies, I got to the first take where she actually goes through the whole scene. And I was... In, I was crying. I was in tears watching her the first, just the first run through of that whole part of the scene. And I was like, oh man, I'm in trouble because I got, there's a lot more dailies to watch. I can't just be weeping this whole time. But it was. Were you literally weeping? I was, I don't know if I was weeping. I was crying. I, I mean, I definitely was tearing up. Wow. I, I, maybe I was going through some of some of my own Chris, stuff. Wow. No, but it was. It, it, she's, but that's, she's, she's that good. Actually, oh, a lot of that is. take. Is is in the the finished yeah. episode. It, it's and and not to say anything about the other takes. She just she nailed it so so well every time I, that I can't yeah. can't She's say enough good, good things about that. Woman, that. Huh? She's, She's pretty good. <laughs> Can I say? And I'm, not, and I'm not being funny here. I'm, this is an honest question. Uh, is, does anyone else feel kind of bad for uh, 
uh, for Howard Hamlin in that oh, scene? Absolutely. I feel kind of bad oh, for him. Oh yeah. And I, I don't. I don't. I know where she's coming from, and I understand she's very raw. Very, well, were you shaking your head? No. I feel like he got what he deserved. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm on, I'm with Kim all the way. I it, kind it, of feel that way too, Rob, and I didn't want to say anything, but no, yeah, no, I it's, an it's an honest question. It's an it's an interesting thing because when I watch the scene in episode one, I feel wow, Howard's really raw. I feel bad for Howard, boy, and then I feel really bad for Howard when Jimmy puts him in his place. Mm-hmm. But then when Kim Kim brings this up in this episode, I think. God damn it, she's right. Mm-hmm. What the hell was Howard thinking? <laughs> and, and so, I, I don't know, for me anyway, I, I'm really with, with the characters. Patrick yeah. is such a wonderful actor, you know, and, and God love him, he's so symmetrical. And a handsome uh, man. You don't really <laughs> expect, man. you don't expect somebody that good looking to be uh, such a wonderful actor and also have the depth that he does. I bet you even his colon is beautiful. Mm. I think so. And, and I've, he's, uh, I've seen it, just so you know, I've seen it and it's, it's, it lives uh, up to the hype. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He did. He does a great job. They both do a great job in this scene. Great and, scene. And so does Anne Cusack. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Now I feel bad for her in the scene because yes. there's a flicker of recognition of of what's happened to Jimmy in this transaction, and I feel bad for her. Yeah. Yeah. She's really. She just wants to get out of there, and she can tell something's something's up. Uh, I, we're, we're going to run out of time real quick. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to go through this without talking about Arturo and yes, the, you must. The, the strangling. What, a, what an amazing scene that is. How did I you will tell that? you though, that when I saw this episode and I saw that, you know, they go to the warehouse and like, he's like in the front and he's like, you know, the one that's going to get, I'm like, they're going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately said they're going to kill him right there. It was awesome, though. I had no idea they were going to, like, you know, suffocate him and make Nacho watch. Well, and this is the first time we've, the second time ever that we've really seen Gus Fring get his hands very dirty. dirty. I think it's only the second time, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think What's you're right. What's the first time? When he killed when Victor. He I mean, it's Victor. technically oh, later. Oh, yeah, that's but, right. Wow. Yeah. Spoiler alert for Breaking Bad. That scene, that scene was incredibly fun to prep because we would all gather in the conference room and invariably plastic bags would end up on heads and of various We've thicknesses. Lost, we lost a few. How many PAs, how many PAs did you lose? Yeah. We didn't count. Three or four. How many UNM students? We did the interns. Wait, can I ask, though, like, how did you guys shoot that? Because that's a safety concern. And That know, is. How, how was that done? You, we had various plastic bags uh, in various configurations for different shots. For instance, uh, they'd be split in the back, so it would only look as if it was being... The actor would breathe it in, so it would press against his face, but it would actually be open You're in the back. breaking the illusion. <laughs> she asked. That's what this podcast is all about. She That's asked. what this is about. Yeah, so, um, you know, they were cut in different places depending on what the, on what the shot was. Yeah. But, you know, we had to test the various placements of the cuts and the thickness of the plastic, and it had to be tested on a head. So it was whoever pulled the short straw had ended up with a plastic bag Does the over their head in the conference s- room. Does the actor have a safe word and stuff like that? No, he, he was like able that? to rip the bag off himself. So his hands aren't really tied or anything? No. Oh, no, I mean, not in okay. some of the – I don't – actually, I wasn't, again, not there for everything, but we did a couple of pickup shots at the very end of the season, the close-ups on his mouth, so I was there – for that, and he didn't have his hands tied. He just pretended. But for the shots where his hand was actually tied, I don't know what 
They, they were monitoring him very carefully. Yeah, and also our... Michelle is, is the guys talking the whole time, kind of talking them through mm-hmm. it. And, ta- and then, you know, you can tell when he, you can really see when it's like too much. I, I would hope you, I, I think you're right. I, I, I'd be a little nervous because if you're really into the moment as an actor and you're hyperventilating into this bag and, and then suddenly you, you, you know, you're so into it that you make yourself pass out and then everyone thinks you're still acting. You know, that it's it was I bet it was it's, trickier than it looks. I think shoot. that's where our stunt coordinator Al yeah. Godo is yeah. really um, an asset because he's keeping a very keen eye. Yeah. Yeah. And Al's the best. Close by. Al's yeah. the best. Let me that shot uh, that wonderful overhead shot where you see them walking, uh, Arturo and uh, Nacho walking, and then you see a shadow lurking mm. behind them between the trucks. What was that? Was that a techno crane or something? What was that? It was a techno crane. Yeah, yeah. techno crane is. Uh, we were talking earlier about techno cranes. That's a wonderful bit of bit of uh, movie equipment candy that you always want, uh, but you seldom get because they're expensive <laughs> to rent. But it's a, t- a telescoping arm that goes straight in and straight out very smoothly, and they have different lengths of it. So it just probably just pulling the arm in the whole time uh, in that shot, looking down. That was a very cool shot. It was a great shot. Oh yeah, it's in our crew is just amazing with that with that piece of equipment with all the equipment they're but, just amazing but you know there's I've, I've heard directors describe the uh, techno crane as like the day killer because it takes so long <laughs> to set anything up yeah. i don't find that to be at all with uh, jacks uh, and 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 all, all of our grips they they set that thing up so quickly they think so far ahead they see around corners and so it we really don't spend a lot of time waiting for equipment or waiting for them it's it's usually uh, i haven't finished my sandwich yet and that's, they're, that's, they're they're <laughs> the best but you know to, to all aspiring uh, showrunners and whatnot you can help you can if you have a great crew like this you can only you can make their lives easier and help them by not you know as a director not being uncertain on the set and having a plan and and as a writer uh not doing rewrite after rewrite after rewrite but giving them time to do their prep mm-hmm. the more uh it's it's uh, the more information uh solid information uh, a solid plan you have from the get-go the less you know then you then your folks really can set up the chassis of the techno crane two hours before you intend to use it and you know it's, instead of you showing up with a sandwich in your hand and saying that's uh, i decided i don't want it there after all i want it 20 feet to the west and then they got to break it down again and the, the more solid information you can give them the better they'll do for you and the more you'll be able to make your day so and in a scene like this uh vincent fuentes who plays arturo he when you have actors who will really commit the way he did because, like you said, he's not in actual any real physical danger. Like he's not re- actually going to die, but he's got his face a plastic bag on his face, and he's acting and he's writhing around. And when we were uh, putting the cut together, you know, there wasn't necessarily all the sound that we would want because a lot of it, Michelle is talking and directing him, and you know, there's a lot of safety stuff going on, and so we temp recorded a bunch of stuff and i i did it by putting getting in a there's and joey took a video of me doing it of me in a like suffocating in a plastic bag are you gonna post and, that on uh, twitter well, we'll yeah we'll post it somewhere 
Um, so show the kids at home how to do it. It's it's pretty. <laughs> it, was, it was pretty. Uh, it, it definitely, I got a light hat. It's uh, very long and uncomfortable to watch. It's, yeah. So the it's other day when I saw you in the black latex uh, uh, suit <laughs> and the ball <laughs> gag in your mouth, what was that for? That listen, that's weekend only type <laughs> stuff, and that's that's it's his other I, show. That was that's that it. was shown to you in confidence. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, I have two four. questions about that. That the first one is for Tom Schnauz and Peter, because I'm curious about how you guys decided that that's the way to kill him. Honestly, for some reason, when we started talking about Arturo, I don't know where it came from. I blurted out, "How about a plastic bag over his head?" And that was <laughs> it. Was as simple as that. There was no long discussion about do it this way, or do it that way. I just remember. For some reason, I thought a plastic bag would be the, be the way to go. I couldn't tell you why I said it. It just was one of those things I threw out there. So Guess it wasn't even it. like that much of a discussion. It was just, yeah. You know, we were. I think we were thinking about uh, what Gus does when he realizes he puts together that what Nacho has done. That Nacho has almost robbed him of his revenge against Hector. And he wants to put Nacho in his place. He wa- and it, I, I, I think we were talking about uh, the slitting of Victor's throat on, oh, yeah. on Breaking Bad because Gus would really much rather be slitting Walt's throat. It seems to me right. in that yeah. moment. Yeah. And this is uh, this is this is this has the same same overtone. And it's the same. Uh, it's watching yeah. somebody die. The way you're watching Victor die is blood pour- coming spouting out of his neck and bleeding out. Watching someone suffocate is a is a, a long horrible. Pr- process and it's probably very effective for Gus's needs right now when he wants to to completely dominate uh, Nacho. Yeah. Nacho, yeah. yeah. It's, it's there's it's, always it's, a plan. There's always a reason. He's not being a pure flat out right. sadist. He's sending a message to so Nacho we, Vargas. We couldn't do box cutter again because we did it once and we mm-hmm. couldn't really do gunshot because it's over quick and you know maybe a rope. But that's I think probably that's why I went immediately to plastic bag because it was you know watching someone suffocate is a is a long horrible process also yeah. don't forget tom tom is from new jersey that's and right. so this is this is really this is common currency I, I voted for a piece of piano wire strung between two drones that would kind of wrap around his neck and then lift him up in the air but they said that was too complicated that's except for robin, robin she said no said money's no, no object yeah. yeah that's why you have a, an excellent talented line zip producer. ties in plastic bags saving lives what, okay, what was so your other my second question was for Robin because especially when we have now a lot of things that are you know it's you know definitely in the news and in these uh, negotiations right now especially with with um, our crews and stuff as far as safety and so Robin that's part of your purview as a line producer correct oh absolutely and in conjunction with my UPM and my uh, two first ads and we take it very seriously. So when they bring you something like this, is there like extra safety meetings and stuff like that on the set and stuff and with the actor and? Well, I, would, I was going to say earlier to, to state the obvious, you need to test it well in advance with your actor because he's in no real danger, but that's not to say he's not perhaps claustrophobic yeah. or you know, has his own reaction to being put in that situation. So there are many tests that are done um, first on the stunt double with our you know planned bags and how they're cut and then with the actor themselves but so much of it occurs in in the 
in the prep. By the time you're on set getting ready to do the gag and the AD calls a safety meeting, she's laying out a very well thought out plan that's been devised with the stunt coordinator and is built off of all the tests and precautions we've taken up until that point. It, okay. It's interesting because the more chaotic things look on screen, usually the more controlled things are behind the scenes. Yeah, that's true. How great yeah. is it seeing Lydia Rodart Quayle in this in this episode? Uh, I love that scene. Yeah. I, the lighting is so beautiful. It's wonderful. That was a hotel, a new, a relatively new hotel in Albuquerque. It was. We had our wrap party there. We did. That was a fun party. Hotel Chaco. Yeah, named after the character in the uh, in. Uh, Land of the Lost. And Michelle fought hard for that episode, <laughs> and she was right. Was a, I mean, we really had brother was Chaka. That was Chaka. Sorry. And I'm, Michelle fought hard for because originally, because originally yeah. you're gonna have it in a, like a Motel Six or something. I somewhere. scripted it for like the Homewood Suites because I was yeah. like, I want to. I want to roll out of bed and clothes. be all set. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was, it okay, was a great I, have, I have one more the, thing. The Alpine Shepherd Boy. It was just a, it was just a, another Hummel. Oh, I thought it was the Alpine Shepherd Boy. I mean, it's similar, but you know, he, we Close. what we saw was you saw Jimmy kind of reminiscing about Mrs. Strauss, and then he couldn't sleep about it. And I think yeah. he has uh, he has a wonderful, wonderful uh, hot loving with his gal. <laughs> go, it's go time for sex. And there is a DVD extra on that. <laughs> no, no movie is sexier than White Heat. But now, isn't, but now isn't it amazing? We got the real, we got the real opening credit music. The, the Max Steiner's incredible. White That's Heat. Awesome. Wow. But anyway, but now I, he's, he's, he, he's, he has um, this great time, and it's the same thing as in the Neff office. Is he's been accepted and loved, and he feels like a piece of shit. So what's he going to do? He's going to go look up uh, the price of that Hummel that he saw in the Neff office, and and. Uh, Start coming up with some some plans, and he's calling Mike. What? Hmm. I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about White Heat. How come you didn't show the beginning of White Heat? Was it too much money? Did Robin put the kibosh on then? In an email, I I put the kibosh on in an email. (laughs) Smart move. I don't even think there's a shot of the television that was shown. Uh Yeah, I mean, it really is just about what's uh, going on with the two of them. Jimmy and Kim both have these huge blow up moments and then they get home and basically lie to each other about what their day was. Neither one of them mentioned what's going on so I think it's very interesting uh, what's happening in their relationship. Yeah. Definitely I'm, worried. Not I'm, worried. Strong, I'm worried about really the two of them. Yeah. To... Well, yeah. we will definitely have to wait until next week to find out. Uh, and we are getting the high sign to wrap it up. So thank you, Jen Carroll. <laughs> and, Jen Carroll. Uh, she, Jen, Hi, Jen. Jen is amazing. And uh, she, she takes care of us and, and puts these podcasts together. That's and right. we're really happy that she's still doing it. Thank you, Jen. And yeah, well, thank you guys for coming and for doing this uh, podcast after dark. Thank you, Robin and, and Tom and Peter and Vince and Joey and Kelly for staying up past midnight at this point. Yep. 12.09. 1209. 1209 um, Eastern Standard Time. That's okay. And though. Kelly, you should take tomorrow off. Yeah. Oh no, I've got yeah. temped no. up in the morning. Nope, nope. And nope. by the by the way, Chris, just before you wrap it up, I want to thank everybody who was at San Diego Comic Con. You, it was an amazing. It was an experience I'll never forget. Uh, if you ever get a chance to be on a panel at Comic Con, do it because it's it's really pretty damn special and so thank thank you all thank you all the fans i don't get invited to these panels your day will come but you were dressed up as gene and i thought that was perfect (laughs) that's just mean Uh, (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, th- thank you guys for listening. We, we really appreciate it. We hope you uh, enjoyed the conversation. And uh, we end every episode by taking it out with uh, a Bob Odenkirk style Better Call Saul. And uh, Robin, would you do us the honors of... Uh, of doing it the way, like the way really that he, he would it, do in do his, it, in Robin, his commercials. Do it, do it, Don't do fuck it. this up, please. Don't fuck this up. <laughs> Better call Saul. Yay! Yay!